Revelations chapter 1, verses 6 through 10 this morning, uh, page 9, 13 in the Black Bibles around the room. So if there is a Black Bible around the room, you don't have one with you, I would invite you to grab that, interact with it. Uh, if you are unfamiliar with the scriptures, not a big deal, you've got to familiarize yourself somehow. The table of contents is a really good place to start and find where Galatians falls in the New Testament there, but it's also, if you just want to get right at it, it is on page 9.13. It's a letter written to, you'll see in verse 4, I believe, it's a letter written to the churches of Galatia. This is a group of Christians and a group of churches in the Roman province of Galatia. Where is Galatia? I've never heard of it. Neither have I until I read the scriptures. It's in modern-day Turkey. Southern Turkey is the region of Galatia. So Paul is writing to this young group of Christians, new Christians, and new churches in Galatia because he's writing to them. He's first come through. He's proclaimed the gospel to them. He's been planted into their hearts. He's gathered them up together in local churches. He's encouraged them. He's taught them with his time with them. And he has moved on to continue planting the gospel, planting uh, churches around these Roman provinces. Well, he's taught word that some false teachers have come in and infiltrated these Galatian churches with a false teaching the gist of which says Jesus plus obedience to the law, that is Jesus plus your doing, your performance equals your salvation. Paul is furious at this and he writes to these Galatian churches to correct them and to steer them back toward the gospel of grace. What does grace mean? Grace means unmerited, unearned favor. We do not earn the favor of God. The favor of God is bestowed on us completely by Him. And Paul is standing firm. When he gets when he gets wily with the churches in his letters, it's usually always around this essential doctrine of the good news of Jesus. And anything that would reduce it or that would minimize it, he comes against in the strongest of terms. That's kind of an orientation to what's happening in Galatians. This is probably the Apostle Paul's earliest letter in around 48 to 49 AD. It's like 15 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. It's fresh. Here's a question. Just, uh, it's, it's, it's odd in its placement right now. But have you ever been chased or charged by a dog? Have you ever had a moment when you're out on a walk? And an animal comes out of somebody's yard or driveway and, and like, it looks intent on coming way too close to you for comfort. In those moments, I think it's for me, I've had several of those moments, and, and they've been moments of kind of a quick adrenaline rush. And my method, just kind of like my knee jerk method of stopping them, has been to like get out my best dad voice and just like, no! Like, like point at them, and, and I'll generally posture my body towards them in some match aggression. And I think what this has done is I've kind of reflected, it's been knee jerk for me. I didn't plan to do it. You never know when one of these animals is going to rush up on you. But uh, I think that leaning towards them, showing some aggression, and using that word no, which is a word that they're already familiar with, I think it has a, a way of kind of stopping them and make them rethink their decision in a moment like that, my body language, it, it surprises them enough that it would, it would halt them, that it would create in them a sense of proper fear. They know in that moment that at least I'm not going to back down or run away, or it's not going to be an easy fight. 
And in that moment, as I feel that, there was a time when Meredith and I were walking and we had a stroller, and I don't know if it was getting in or at least, but it was a pit bull mix, came out of a yard, like at a heavy clip at us. And I did that, and I was filled in that moment with proper fear. My adrenaline like just spiked in that moment. But what was also going on in my heart was there was proper love in the mix too. Why? Because my wife and my child were with me in that moment. And so I knew and I had realized in a moment that I was standing between those I love and a legitimate threat. How does this relate to Galatians? Paul opens his letter to the local churches of Galatia in a similar way. He's trying to intervene and stand between these Galatian Christians and a threat that minimizes the gospel and that minimizes the all-sufficient, complete, finished work of Jesus Christ. The way that Paul opens uh, Galatians is really, really interesting when you compare it to his other letters because he'll typically open his letters with a greeting. He'll say, Paul, I'm an apostle by the will of God. And, and, and he'll, he'll address who he writes to. He'll say, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then after that, typically in his letters, he'll give a thanksgiving and a prayer. So he'll speak to these Galatian Christians and he'll say, these are all of the reasons why I want to commend you in the work of Jesus Christ. You're doing so well. I'm so thankful for you. And then he'll pray for them. That their hearts would be enlightened and that they would come to a full understanding of all that God has done for them in the gospel. Paul doesn't do that in this letter with us. Verse 6, the third word is astonished. He gets right to rebuke. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ Jesus and turning to another gospel. Not that there is one, but I'm astonished that you would be so quickly turning. He's furious with these false teachers who have infiltrated these, these, these churches, but he's also furious with these Galatian Christians for giving in to them. But as we read and as we process Galatians here, notice that Paul's gentleness is, is it's wrapped up in firm correction. He is coming as a loving father. He's not coming as an abusive father. He's coming as a loving father who needs urgently to sound the alarm for these young Christians. What you are giving into will destroy you. It will ultimately, you will lose your faith in Christ and you will believe another gospel that cannot save you. Stop. To correct is to love. To be indifferent when someone is in danger is to live hatefully for There's a place for correction. My main objective this morning for us is to get clear on two things. To get clear on the substance of what the good news of Jesus is. That is to say, what the content is of the gospel. What needs to be there? What are the kind of bare, what's the bare minimum? What do we actually believe about Jesus Christ? So my objective number one is to get clear on the substance of the gospel, but also to get clear on the source of the gospel. Where does this come from? Who gives it? Living in the Earth is an, it's a ministry started by a theologian who has recently passed away, I think, somewhere in the last year, year and a half, since he's first school. He's a phenomenal theologian, pastor, and ministry leader, philosopher. This guy is Yoda, smart. He's even smarter now because he's with the Lord Jesus Christ. But he uh, got together with some of his 
board members, and some people within his organization, Spirit of Influence, and they created this statement on Christology. Christology is the study of Jesus Christ. And what they wanted to do was, was write a really concise statement on who Jesus is and what has Jesus done. Something that we could confess that churches could hold that would keep us grounded in the person of Jesus Christ and also in the work of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to read it. See, we're already reading it out this morning. All of them. Uh, we, we don't need to read it out loud. Just follow all the things I read. We confess the mystery and the wonder of God made flesh and rejoice in our great salvation through Jesus Christ alone. With the Father and the Holy Spirit and with Trinitarian language. The Son, Jesus, created all things, scriptures teach, sustains all things, and makes all things new. Truly God, He became truly man. Two natures in one person. He was born of the Virgin Mary and lived among us. Really lived among us. Crucified, dead and buried. He rose on the third day. He ascended to heaven and will come again in glory and judgment. For us, he kept the law. He atoned for sin and satisfied God's wrath. He took our filthy rags and gave us his righteous robe. He is our prophet. He is our priest and king. Building his church interceding for us and reigning over all things. Jesus Christ is Lord who grace his own name forever. Amen. Concise statement in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who does that statement mean much of? Does it mean much of you? No. You're assuming for us he kept the law. For us he did this. The point of this confession, the point of what the scriptures teach, is that Jesus Christ is the one who is worthy of our worship and our attention and our adoration. So I've got four points that spring right up out of the text in Galatians 1, chapters 6 through 10. The first point is in verse 6. I'm just going to go through these points real quick to orient you where we're going this morning. To abandon the gospel is to desert God himself. To abandon the gospel. To abandon the good news of Jesus Christ is to desert God Himself. Out of verse 7, my second point is there is only one true gospel, and it magnifies the grace of Christ Jesus. My third point comes out of verses 8 and 9. The gospel originates with God alone. And my fourth and final point, out of verse 10, briefly, holding fast to the gospel of Christ, please His Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The apostolic, and let's put word, the apostolic gospel is foundation. It's foundation for us. What do you mean by apostolic? What is that big word? The apostolic gospel is the gospel that was given to the apostles by the bodily presence of Jesus himself. Handed down to his twelve disciples whom he sent and named apostles, as well as Paul the apostle. If you want to know where Paul's apostleship came from, listen to last week's sermon online. The, the apostolic gospel is foundational to us because to abandon the gospel in verse 6 is to, to, to serve God himself. Paul's astonishment with these Galatians is based on this point of love. I'm astonished 
Verse 6, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and returning to a different gospel. It is easy for us to turn away from the gospel of grace. It is easy, painfully easy. It's easy for us to believe things that are untrue about God. It is easy for you and I to believe things that are untrue about God. It is easy for you and I to trust in our obedience to soothe our consciences before God. It is easy for us, the people, to come under the persuasion and the, the, the teaching of charismatic leaders and teachers. It's easy for us to grow proud and to think that we are in no danger at all regarding what we believe about the gospel and about the scriptures. We need to know that right up the Let's just get honest. It is easy for us to go astray. It is easy for us to be led astray. There is so much teaching and so much knowledge out there. The Apostle Paul writes to a different set of Christians in these churches in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 2 12. He said, Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, take stock. Because the moment when you think you're standing sure, something's going to come in and take you out. So be humble about where you are. Be humble about what you believe. The primary need of God's grace through a local church is through local elders who are first and foremost men of the word. Eldership within a local church context is given. Elders are commissioned to safeguard a church's doctrine. There is more that elders are there to do, but they are there to safeguard the church's doctrine, to protect it, to be sure that we hold fast to the scriptures, to be sure that we hold fast to the gospel of grace. Doctrine matters. You don't let anybody tell you that it doesn't. It's a Bible. It's a, it's a dirty word in our culture. We hear dogma and we hear doctrine stated um, in a derogatory way. In our culture, but doctrine is a is a neutral word that simply means a set of beliefs about any given subject. And so, within the church, we have the doctrine of the gospel, we have, which is all that the scriptures teach about the good news of Jesus Christ. We have the doctrine of the Trinity, all that the scriptures teach about Father, Son, and Spirit. We have the doctrine of creation, all that the scriptures teach about creation. What we believe about God and about His work in the world matters. Absolutely. What is true about God and how we are honored to come to us through His Word. And so, to abandon God's Word for a Christian is to abandon God Himself. Look at what Paul says here in verse 6. I'm astonished you're so quickly deserting the gospel who called you in the grace of Christ. Is that what he says? Who no, It's not what he says. He says, I am, so, I am astonished you are so quickly deserting what? It's not a what, it's a who, it's right. Deserting him to abandon the gospel is to desert God himself. Think about it like this. When a child 
abandons instruction from the parents. They are moving out from under the authority of mom and dad. They are attempting to move willfully out from under their covering and their protection and their teaching. And they are essentially becoming lawgivers, becoming a law for themselves. They move away from, out from under the cover of their parents. So to abandon the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, just how Paul will often talk about the good news in other letters, it's to abandon God himself. Paul says this is astonishing. You're so quickly deserving him and Paul being the of Christ. To abandon the good news of Jesus Christ is to abandon the Father, to abandon the Son, and to abandon the Holy Spirit, to say, I know To abandon this word is to abandon God. So the word here that Paul uses is It's a military term. I'm so I'm astonished that we're so quickly deserting. Deserting him who called you in the gospel of Christ. This word desert des- describes a deserter or a turncoat. I was thinking about it in, in just terms of like our own country and our own constitution and our own body of laws. I was thinking about how desertion in the military, in the United States military, is responded to. It carries, if you desert in any branch of the U.S. military, it carries a maximum sentence of, uh, of a dishonorable discharge, five, five years potentially in, uh, in, in military prison or confinement, as well as an abandonment of all of your pay in terms of peace, in times of peace, you abandon in times of peace. If you desert in the U.S. military in times of war, however, they can cost your life. The court can marshal you, you can find you, you can, can uh, declare you guilty and can exert the death penalty on you. We have a inner And we would say that is a very serious matter, to desert the military in wartime is a very serious matter. Uh, many of us would probably agree that that is good when we have such strict and stringent laws around that. Now, if you think about it in terms of God Himself, to deserve God, how much more to deserve a holy and infinitely perfect God in the matters of life and peace? For them, the gospel is to deserve God Himself. The second point out of verse 7 there's only one true gospel. This gospel magnifies the grace of Jesus Christ. All other gospels, all other forms of good news are distortions and counterfeits. What they are is man-made, they're not God-given. And man-made gospels, man-made forms of good news minimize the grace of Christ and generally will maximize the, 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 the perfection or the innocence or the power of mankind. We learned to spot the counterfeits by knowing the real thing. Well, last week I mentioned that I was a clerk um, at Fred Meyer when we first opened in town, and they taught me how to spot counterfeit money. Not by showing me the various forms of counterfeits, but they taught us how to spot counterfeits by studying the real thing. We became so familiar with the real thing that any time a counterfeit crossed our desk or register, we could spot it either by texture or by sound or by sight as well. So, anytime you hear the gospel proclaimed, anytime you're visiting a local church, anytime you're listening to something on the radio, you're seeing TV preachers, which I don't endorse, you're, you're like, anytime you're hearing the gospel proclaimed, first ask yourself, when you hear that gospel, or when you hear somebody kind of like 
touch on various points of the gospel, ask yourself, it's just a means of sobriety, ask yourself, who does this gospel maximize? Who is this gospel making much of? Is it making much and elevating mankind, or making much and elevating the Savior? It's a good first place to start. Just ask yourself, who does this maximize? In our culture, there are all kinds of false gospels. One thing that's passed oftentimes is kind of a full like, Christian gospel is that God loves you, Jesus has died for you, and he wants you to be fulfilled. He wants you to be happy. We hear this all the time. If I were to ask, or if I were to even just take a poll in this, in this room and ask you to define the gospel, I don't know how many people are in here right now, 115, something like that, but there would, there would probably be about 115 variations of that answer. There's some very poor answers, there's some probably very solid theological answers. As I've done an exercise before, just having somebody ask me to like, just write out, what needs to be there for us to be told and declared? The good news of Jesus being declared. I miss major things as I've just written out and processed them on the top of my head. And I, I, would, I would suspect that it would be the same for all of us in this room. A false gospel, it doesn't need to be entirely polluted, it just needs to be slightly polluted. Give you a crude example. Who likes brownies? Just mix in a little poo in the brownies. <laughs> Is the whole batch polluted? Veggies. Absolutely. We need to be careful about what we let in. We need to be careful about these things. The gospel can also just be like a soup. We just kind of assume we know the context, we get lazy about it, and then our ability to kind of discern and pick up what is there, what the, the substance of the gospel, we just begin assuming it. And pretty soon, uh, many theologians say that we'll eventually deny it. We're just like a generation, generation away from uh, denial. Dave Carson, a theologian, warns us today that at any given time, we'll be one generation away from losing even denying the gospel. So if we don't hand off the contents of Jesus' perfection and his atoning sacrifice and his resurrection, if we don't hand that off to, a ne to the next generation, to the people around us with great clarity and intentionality, one generation, maybe it is us, maybe it's not, in this room will know it and will believe this gospel, but the next generation will assume it, and the coming generation will eventually deny the gospel things that are that are external to the gospel as the main thing, like politics, God and country. And American Christians do not be Christian means of America. God first, country second. Which generation are you going Are you believing and holding fast to the gospel with good grip on it? It's something that you want to look into and explore the wonders of its implications for you? Perfection. You mentioned your sin and how need 
and you see it's there. This generation of people who want to be immediate, want fast, want to swing, or want to deny. Each generation of Jesus' people must stand firm side by side, both striving together, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul writes the Philippian church, he's commending these churches in Philippi, that he is so proud of them because they're standing firm in the gospel, striving side by side, arms locked for this faith of the gospel. So what is the substance of the apostolic gospel? The gospel is handed down by the apostles. I don't think that we've seen a more full and concise statement on the gospel than the one that we read earlier on the beginning. We need to think about the substance here of this statement. We confess the mystery and the wonder of God made flesh, speaking of Jesus Christ. And we rejoice in our great salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. With the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Son created all things. The Son sustains all things. The Son makes all things new. Truly God, He became truly man. Two natures in one person. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary and lived among us. Crucified, dead, and buried. He rose on the third day, ascended to heaven, and will come again in glory and judgment for us. He kept the law, he atoned for sin, and he satisfied the wrath of God on sin. He took our filthy rags and gave us his righteous robe. He is our prophet, our priest, and our king. Building his church, interceding for us, and reigning over all things. Jesus Christ is Lord, we praise his holy name forever. Let it be so. You see who the statement is like that's literally the man the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is astonished these Galatians are believing that they can finish by their sweat, by their obedience, by their sheer effort and willpower, and do betters and try harders. He's astonished that they're believing that by their sweat they can accomplish what Jesus Christ has done for us. Salvation. These Galatians have come into the family of God with empty hands, and they've come into the God as they're into the family of God as stinking orphan beggars. Painting that word picture for you. This is how we come into the family of God with empty hands. We don't come in bringing our efforts. We don't come in bringing the fact that we've cleaned up our life. We come in saying, if I'm going to have anything from you at all, it's going to be because it's going to be because you have chosen to give it to me. It's going to be because you have bestowed it on me. You've freely given me grace. Grace means, like I said earlier, unmerited favor. We cannot finish by our sweat what was begun in us by the Holy Spirit. Paul will go on to say in Galatians 3, verse 1, he'll, he'll continue kind of his rebuke, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has deceived you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed, crucified. Let me ask you only this, Paul says, did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law, that is to say, by your awesomeness, by your obedience, by your church attendance, by your tithing, by your serving, by your missionary work, by your whatever? Is that how you received the Holy Spirit? Or did you receive the Holy Spirit by hearing and believing the gospel with faith? But go on to say, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected? Are you growing in Christ through your sheer effort? 
It's through the undeserved favor and calling of Jesus Christ that these Galatians and us, that we have been washed, that we have received the clothing, the new clothing of God's righteousness and the gift of adoption in the family as full, full, full sons and daughters. And we don't do these things in order to put God into our debt and earn his promise of favor. We do good things and we do good to others. Why? Because we love him. Why do we love him? Because he loved us first. That's the order of the gospel. He loves us. We love him and our response is to do. You know you have an inverted gospel when it says, do good, love him, and then he'll love you. Or love him, do good, and then he'll love you. That is an inverted gospel. The gospel of grace is that while we were yet sinners, he loved us. We recognized it. It turned our wayward hearts. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And as that gospel turns our hearts, then pretty soon we're like, give me some work. I want to do something. It's not to repay him. It's from a place of gratitude. Pay full. It's asking to be a means by which the gospel of grace can go forward into other people's lives, and they too can experience the gospel of favor that we have as well. It creates a selflessness in the people of God, and we love Him because He loved us first. The gospel originates as well. It's the, the, the gospel is foundational to us because it originates with God alone. Paul is completely jealous of the Galatians' well-being and was furious with these false apostles because they're leading his beloved children in faith astray. He had come through these provinces of Galatia, these areas. He had planted the gospel. He had seen people come to faith. He had begun to see their affections and their desires and their love for God and their love for their fellow mankind. He began to see these things rewired and changed, and he loves them as a, as a father with sons and daughters. And now these teachers are coming in, trying to magnify themselves and make much of themselves, and they're actually saying, Paul, he's a false apostle. Paul doesn't care about you. Paul's teaching a false gospel. These Galatian teachers were leading the Galatian, the Galatian people, these Galatian churches, away from full dependence on Jesus Christ, preaching, yeah, Jesus is the Messiah, but you've got to keep the law. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to, you've got to care about the food that you eat. It's got to be according to custom, according to the ceremonial law. You've got to keep it still. It's still binding on you. Paul would say, no. Jesus Christ given fully in our place. That is how we come to have peace and reconciliation with God. It is through the empty hands of faith that we become regenerate and renewed and come into the family of God, receive adoption, and are declared justified. That is not guilty. Past, present, future sin, all of it done. Whatever you find yourself mired in right now, Jesus Christ has paid for that sin. You are not on the line for it. He has been. He is. Yes, there are consequences. But he has stood in the place as your Savior. So Paul here, he doesn't curse these false teachers out of personal spite or animosity. Look at what he says. Starting in verse 7. Not that there isn't a difference. Well, there actually isn't. 
But there are some who have come in and trouble you, who are stirring you up and agitating you, and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. They're here to confuse you, and confuse you they are. Verse 8, but even if we, Paul is including himself in this, it's not just pointing fingers, saying, even if we preach to you or an angel of heaven, if you have some mystical, crazy experience, and some angel appears to you and preaches a different gospel to you than the one that you received from us originally, let him be accursed. And then he'll say again in verse 9, as we have said before, so Paul said, as we, including himself and all the people around him, have said before, so I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. That word is anathema. Let him be cut off from the living God. Let judgment be upon that person's head for polluting the good news of Jesus Christ and thinking that they can add to it. He's not just cranky in this moment. He's not just angry in this moment. He's not just jealous for these Galatian churches in this moment. The reason I believe that Paul says it twice here is to show them that he is filled with passion and he's thinking with a clear head. He's thinking with a clear heart, clear eyes here in this moment. He's saying, no, no, no. Even if we come to you and preach a gospel contrary to the one that we originally preached to you, that is to say, if we edit it, if we revise it, if we come with a new teaching, let us in the sight of God be cut off. We are in error, not you. Hold fast to the gospel that we first proclaimed. He's thinking it's incredibly clear today. He wants them to know this is no small matter. To proclaim and to teach the distorted gospel is to act as an active enemy of God, to become a person at all, to take what he has given to us as very foolish. The gospel is given by Jesus to the apostles, not man, no angel, but he called himself as permission to edit this. And we have a, a really popular teaching in our day that started in the 1850s by the name of Joseph Smith. And the basis of Mormonism is that the angel came to Joseph Smith and proclaimed a different gospel from the one that we hope to hear and the one that the scriptures teach. The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul in AD 48 to 49, was anticipating the heresies that would come. That would teach a different gospel and lead people astray. We are not justified by our moralism. Moralism is not justified. It is good to be a moral person, but that is not the standard by which we are judged. There are Buddhists and Hindus and atheists and agnostics and all kinds of other people who are more complex than the But the standard of the world that humanity is judged is not a standard of moralism, it's the standard of perfect righteousness. We must have a rescue. We are incompetent and incapable of moralism saving ourselves from taking the scales. That is what the gospel teaches. And the gospel teaches that God is so good, and so kind, and so present, and so active in our world. He will come himself, very God, become a man, take on flesh, two natures in one, live for us, incarnate around us, perfectly as the statement of Christology said, fulfill the law for us, 
the perfect man, Jesus Christ. And not just that, humanity showed our true, true colors by murdering that that death would be an atoning death by which his blood, the innocent shed for the guilty, would justify all who trust in his finished and complete and sufficient work. That's what the gospel teaches. And he was raised again on the third day so that we would know he so changed the lives of the men and women around him to give us historical validity to the fact that something really did happen in that tomb in Jerusalem in 33 AD. And so changed the hearts of men and women that they would go out and proclaim that he isn't dead. I saw him. I saw him. My own eyes experienced him. And now you and I are experiencing the real risen Jesus Christ as he reveals himself to us through the gospel, through his spirit, through his word. You and I are not justified by works of the flesh. We are not justified by our obedience. We are justified by faith in Jesus' perfect work. work the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Nothing less than the glory of the risen Christ is at stake here. Paul repeats his refrain to these false teachers twice to let these Galatians know that he is clear-headed. No man, no man should not call himself as commissioned head. And the glory of the risen Christ, the glory of this gospel is escaping in our hearts. We're tempted to believe things that we do not grace to Christ. Our enemy wants nothing more for us to take the goodness of Jesus Christ, Jesus is fulfilling the law for us, to take those things lightly, to minimize it, to throw some more good work on it, to minimize the holiness of God, Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. Often, there's a pastor in one of our who says this performance of Christianity is actually a minimizing of God's holiness. Thinking we can impress God with our right living shows that he reduced his standards far below what they actually are. Rather than being awed by the infinite measure of his holy perfection, we've convinced ourselves that if we just try hard enough, we can merit God's love and prove it This comes more to you and I in this way. When you are in tune, when you are, when you, when you are spending time in the presence of God, spending time through his word, spending time in prayer, you're involved with the community of people, however that looks for you, they're pointing you for this Christ, you're sharing your lives with one another, you're speaking with them, you're gathering with the local church and say, whatever your metrics might be, when you start to let those metrics go, when you start to feel this like distance between you and God, and you start to interpret that distance to me, if he is not favorably disposed to us, we are believing in some way, some shape, some form, that our performance merits is approved. That makes sense. Now, in those moments when we kind of feel that big, continue what it should be. First of all, faith in Jesus, forgiveness. Filling the law on my behalf. Thank you for drawing me from the thing. Did you wake up now? Did you kneel over the steps? Did you help me move in step with you to get a new God's approval is not merited to us based on the 
It's full. This is a radical teaching in 2019. This is a radical teaching in 80 and 48 and 49. You and I are not, we are justified not by the works of the flesh or obedience, but only to faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. The application that I have for you last week and I have for you this week is to rest in the way Jesus Christ. To resist this answer we have a performance that thinks about a smile at you. He does not have a furrowed brow at you if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not just merely putting up with you. He loves you. He wants you. He is speaking to you. And he is giving continually his gospel of grace to you that it will warm your heart, turn your heart, and move you back into wanting him. He wanted you before you ever wanted. He's revealed himself. And you hold fast to this gospel given first by Jesus to the apostles and then pass down through the ages to faithful men and women now received by us to please our Father, who please our Savior Jesus and the Spirit who lives within us. And pleasing God does not equate earning his favor or approval. Our hearts, you guys, are sneaky old glory That's what they are. Our hearts sneak up on us, they're little glory thieves, they want to preach to us that we can do something, that we have done something to merit God's favor. Remember, I want this phrase in your mind this week, by God's grace. The gospel is all of grace. The gospel is all of grace. The gospel is all of grace. Say, the gospel is all of grace. The gospel is all, can you say it? The gospel is all of grace. The gospel is all of grace. Well, these words just pounding into your heads and hearts this week. God's favor is through grace and grace alone. R.C. Spolgen says, I am meeting with the price that you lose to live with Christ. Do you begin to hold fast to something that is legitimate? It's not actually with the price. It's power, it's like it. My last point is short is this, verse 10. This is a transitional verse here, verse 10. So what it's doing is it's transitioning verses 1 through 9 into what is below. It's like an hinge verse. Paul says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? These false apostles, these false teachers in the Galatian church were saying that Paul is, he just wants the, the Gentiles' approval. He's teaching this false gospel because he loves men, not God. And Paul says, or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Well, I'll start next week's message with verse 10. So we'll get more into it. But we need to realize that even holding fast to this gospel of grace is not earnest. God's favor is all response. The gospel is all grace. And one more group of Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 is what we do. Paul says, For by grace you have been saved. Unmerited favor, you have been saved. Past tense. Through faith. This is belief. This is not just merely ascending, uh, ascending to a, a set of beliefs, but actually meaningful way to trust upon them. That's what faith means. And this even is not their own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works. So that we're going to be we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for the world. See, I'm the creator of the Christ. 
who created this image, who created what he looks, unsolidated by us, he couldn't be out of his acceptance of us. God prepared these things beforehand for us to do, but we should walk in them. So, if you want to glorify God, you want to please Father, Son, and Holy Spirit when you alive, hold fast to the gospel. Hold fast, hold firm, stand firm, therefore, and don't submit to a yoke of slavery, which Paul will talk about in the Galatian churches of giving into this gospel of obedience. If I obey, we'll be the love of We properly fear God, and we wish to honor Him as the one who reigns over all things. If you want to please God, hold fast to the gospel of yourself. We relent of our pride and bend our knee to the one who humbled himself to rescue us. Another way that we please God is by holding fast to the gospel for others, properly loving those who perish in the status of anything as Jesus. And the word says, the scripture says that everyone is dependent for his Christ. Everyone. Holding fast to the gospel, we will displease him. We will displease people around him and women. Paul says as much in verse 10. Am I not seeking the approval of the manner of God? Or am I trying to please man? Am I still trying to please man? I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. He's completely Fear of man is a trap of the snare. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Hold fast, church, to the gospel of grace. Preach grace to your heart. Preach, preach, preach. Father, help us to hold fast to this gospel. Help us to stand in this weird tension. Just setting our minds on the gospel of grace. And not having to do this of things from it. Obedience comes. Good works come. Effort comes. Self sacrifice comes. But earning is never, never, never part of the equation of the Holy Spirit protect us from this mode of thinking, not just thinking, but also in the Because we live out of the believe. Help your people, the people of this church, to understand our modes of operation, to understand, give us self-awareness, to understand how we respond to you, how we think about you, how we subtly, functionally believe that if we're doing the right things, then they're with us. And if we're not doing the right things, then they're not with us. The gospel preaches something radical. How we would let sinners and we thank you and we came to Jesus. Steal the heart of us all. Plant us from there. May we be greatly happy for you. Never once thank you. Thank you.